0: On the podcast, I will be joined each week by an exciting guest to help provide evidence-based information and advice about both the perimenopause and the menopause. So today I'm very, very excited because I have with me Carolyn Harris, who's very kindly given up her time on a Sunday morning to (laughs) talk to me about the menopause. So thank you very much, Carolyn. My pleasure, Louise. So I've been aware of your work for a while and like a lot of people, I just end up stalking them and I don't know how I managed to do it, but I managed to get in touch with them and then have the most amazing conversation and Carolyn is one of the most inspirational women that I've ever met and spoken to because she's very determined which I like in women she doesn't take no for an answer and things haven't been easy for her and I think it's very easy when you see people who are at the sort of peak of their career think how easy life has been we've all got stories and a lot of them we don't share but some of them we do and I think that makes us more determined actually as women if we've had easy backgrounds Mm -hmm. then we sit and rest on our laurels a bit and most of us haven't had easy backgrounds And neither is Carolyn. So thank you for coming today. Pleasure. So just let's set the scene, really, because when your name is in the media, it's equaled with free prescriptions, menopause. Mm. But it's not always been like that, has it? So just can you talk us through sort of what your career's been like and how you've got to where you are?
1: (laughs) Okay, uh left school at 16. had my first child by the time I was 20. Uh, My second child when I was 25. During this time, I was a barmaid. Right. And then in 1989, worst possible thing in the world happened. And my first child, Martin, was run over and killed. Mm. And I just went like for three years in a black hole. Mm. Didn't take any kind of antidepressants, fought it off. But you never fight it off. It stays with you. But I think it's one of those life changing situations. It either makes or breaks you. And I had a decision to make, which was my first decision was, did I stay or did I go to be with Martin? Decided mm. to stay because of I had Stewart, who was only three at the time. And then when I came out of a black hole, I thought, right, well, if I'm going to stay, I need to be productive. And I need yeah. to do something which makes life worth living. Um, ended up going to university when I was 34. First person wow. in my family. First person in my street. I think I was probably the first person in the local community to go to university. Incredible. And I, I really thought I was something special. You know, with a university scarf, the full works, loved mm. it. But I didn't do the nightlife, obviously, because I was coming home to my family. Mm -hmm. So I got my degree, ended up working in social inclusion, working with children's cancer charity. I've always been political. I mean, since I was eight, I was putting up posters in my windows at the polling station, taking numbers. Politics has always been in my life. Never, ever, ever, ever dreamt in a million years that I would be that person. My then MP, Donald Anderson, was someone I had on a huge, huge pair to still, still have. And when he decided to stand down and people were saying, oh, are you going to go for this? I'm like, God, no, I could never do that job. Oh, my God, no, I don't know enough. I'm not bright enough. I'm not clever enough. I'm not articulate enough. And it was like that all throughout university, by the way, massive imposter syndrome. Mm. And then somebody else went for it. They got the seat. I ended up working for her for 10 years. And um, When she decided to stand down, I thought, well, I know a bit more now than I did before. I'm going to go for this. And I went for it and I became the MP in 2015. And the first thing I did was to campaign to make children's funerals free in the United Kingdom. Because when I lost Martin, we just couldn't afford to pay for his funeral. So I think that sort of losing Martin changed me and it made me the person I am now. And it's also made me very stubborn that I know that if it's achievable, then I'm not giving up until I do achieve it. And I've done that with the children's funeral. I'm doing it with gambling. Menopause is something that's been really huge in my life, but I didn't realize how huge until quite recently. But I'll tell you about that if you want to. Over to you. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I mean, I think it just shows, you know, that you can always do something. Because I remember you said to me about one of your teachers. What did your teacher
1: say that your career should be? Right. So I had this mad dream when I was in school that I wanted to be a doctor. I had this thing, I wanted to be a doctor. And I remember going to the careers teacher and saying, that time when you're going to be talking about what you're going to be taking your options and whatever. And she said, well, what do you want to do, Carolyn? And I said, well, I really want to be a doctor. I've always wanted to be a doctor. And she just said, come on now, let's be realistic. There are plenty of factory jobs out there. And I think that was the start of the imposter syndrome. Because yeah. ever since then, I was like, it's okay to dream. But as long as you realise you're only dreaming, and you don't ever really expect it to happen. Yeah. But you know, it's... anyone who knows me and knew me all my life would have said, for me to be a politician, the eight year old me, mm. who was obsessed with elections, would have been so, so impressed that I would become a politician. And but I love it.
0: It's amazing, isn't it? And I think that sometimes the reverse psychology works really well. I I went to boarding school from the age of 10. So I was year six and my dad had just died and it was awful. And I always wanted to read medicine right from the very start. And then I looked at everyone and I looked to see where people had gone to university and what degrees they'd done. And hardly anyone from my school had done medicine at all. And I just thought, I just can't do it. I'm just never going to be able to do it. I'm just going to have to go and read physics or chemistry or do something else and be desperately unhappy. And then I managed to get a scholarship for another school for sixth form and that was the real turning point for everything. But it's very easy. And I have complete imposter syndrome as well. So it's good and it's bad having imposter syndrome. But I think it means you don't rest on your laurels. I'm not here thinking wow, I'm so good. I just think, Mm. oh, I've got so much to do. And this is Mm. awful. And I haven't achieved Mm. this and that and the other. And I I think it's very interesting, because I don't think many men
1: have imposter syndrome. No, definitely (laughs) not. I mean, people say to me, and and you did it in the intro, or you did this, and people say, I'm a whirlwind. And I'm like, I just cringe. my toes are curling. I'm thinking, oh, please don't say that. Tell me I got a nice dress. Tell me you like (laughs) the colour of my hair. And I'm like, oh, thank you very much. Tell me something that you think is good about me as a person. And I'm Just so, so cringy, embarrassed. It's awful, but and I—that's me. it's me i'm never going to change her. but
0: i think that's a great quality because then it means you don't rest on your laurels and you don't mm. think about how good you are because no one is 100% bad i definitely believe that but i also think no one is 100% good we yeah. can always do better or we can change yeah. or improve or we can work together or we can do something or find better out of other people as well and that's a lot of mm. things that i think you're doing mm. with your work and i'm certainly doing is trying to bring people together, but also try and um, improve everyone so they're listening mm. more, yeah. so they're making changes. And that's something that a few years ago, I just think would never have happened in the menopause. Mm. I remember going to a Department of Health meeting with Dame Sally Davis, who is the Chief Medical Officer, as you know, and I remember saying, I really feel we need to look after our NHS staff because 40% of those are menopausal women. And we know around 20% of women are leaving their workplace. This obviously was before COVID, before people were really exhausted. What are we going to do? Let's just look after ourselves first. Oh yes, yes, we need to do it. We need to do it. But then there were lots of other people on this big table with me, and most of them were older than me. And most of them actually hadn't really spoken to menopause women and saying, Well, we just need to get them to exercise more, we need to get them to eat better. And I said, like, Oh, what about HRT? And they said, Well, no, that's just we don't like HRT. And it was a real and that was the end of really the meeting. Mm. And I thought, oh, this is a real shame, actually. But now, you know, it's so different. And not only Mm. are we talking about the menopause, we're talking about HRT being free. And I know in Mm. Wales, obviously, it is free, but it's not in the UK. So, Mm. So why did you decide to start doing something in the menopause space?
1: Well... On a personal level, in 2010, I had a, a really well. I know now I had a really big gynecological operation. I bled nonstop for nearly a year. Mm. I kept passing out. It was horrendous. And eventually, went to my doctor, who sent me to the hospital. And I ended up having massive fibroids removed. And I never saw again after that. And then that was in the November. By the December, I just kept going deeper and deeper into a black hole. I literally ended up in a pink anorak with a hood up. I couldn't go shopping. I was terrified people were looking at me. And so I self-diagnosed, as a lot of women do, and said, I'm having a nervous breakdown. So I went to my GP, who I've got to say was absolutely fantastic, but I didn't tell him about all the symptoms. I only told him that I was anxious, I was depressed, I didn't know where I was going in my life, and it was just awful. So I diagnosed myself as having a nervous breakdown. I had cognitive behaviour therapy, and I ended up going on antidepressants. So seven months later, the antidepressants had kicked in and I was getting better, went back to work. And it was a useful episode because it did give me a bit of courage. I know that sounds really strange, but, mm. but you know, it did give me a bit more courage because I could have been a doormat. And at certain times during in the run up to those years, I had become a bit of a doormat for other people. So I started challenging and I started saying no I'm sorry what did you mean by that and I just wouldn't take any crap and I think that gave me the strength that by the time I did become the MP I was in a position where I still don't think that I am what other people think I am but I, I am bolshie. I'm gorby, as I like to say but I'm not goby in a negative way. I'm gorby when I know something needs to change and I know that I've got the resource or the platform to do that. So Anyway, being on antidepressants for all this time, never thought about it being the menopause. I never connected having to lay down in the attic under an open window because I couldn't stand the heat. I never connected the fact that my nails didn't grow. They were breaking. I never connected the mood swings. I never connected the weight gain. All the things that you can imagine, mm-hmm. I never connected them together. I locked at each one of them as individual. If I had cystitis, I had cystitis. I didn't put it down mm-hmm. to potentially menopausal. So I blame myself for that. But I think I'm like a lot of women that we just Absolutely. put up with it. You know, this is what happens. And I didn't know about the menopause. I mean, I think I've told you before, Louise, but I can remember my mother's sisters and my mother having a conversation about one of my aunts who was obviously going through the menopause. But they sent me out the room because they didn't want to be talking about that in front of me. I was 36. No, I had kids. <laughs> Amazing, I was in university but oh you can't, no Carolyn don't want to hear that so just never knew about it nobody talked to me about it except Les Dawson on telly when he'd have that sketch with Roy mm. Barraclough and he'd lift his left breast up and it all oh, she's on the change I did not really understand what it meant and it was it was only sort of the last five years when I was terrified to come off antidepressants because I was terrified I was going to go back to the pink coat mm. and I was putting other things together i was talking to other women we started celebrating international menopause day in the house of commons and every year we'll have a debate and every year people will share their story or they'll say supportive things right across the house right across the genders and then we don't hear anybody again till the following year and about two years ago i thought we need to stop talking and we need to stop acting mm. and we started asking for things like i'd started saying we had been on the curriculum in schools I started saying that we needed better training for doctors. I started talking about workplace practices needs to be improved and whatever. But nothing happens. We just keep talking about it. So about six months ago, I decided we were going to set up an APPG, all party parliamentary group, mm. to specifically look at all the different areas of menopause that we needed to change, which is everything. Let's be honest about it. It's everything. And not just in this country, Absolutely. it's globally. Nobody gets it right. Oh, totally. And... Why an APPG? Because as an opposition MP, I'm not in a position in the government to influence. But I have succeeded to get legislation through. Children's funerals, I just did that on my own. But on the gambling work I do, we did it through an APPG. So that was cross-party, that was getting the professionals in, it was getting the affected in, and it was talking to them, it was making recommendations, and we have been successful in that. So I thought, we've done it before, let's try this on menopause so we were in the process of setting this up when I got a private members bill and a private members bill is really sought after there's only 20 are actually drawn every year which are guaranteed to get heard and I got number three which meant not only am I guaranteed to get it heard there's a bloody good chance I'm going to get something done about it Mm -hmm. and everybody was saying do this do that and I kept saying no, I want to do menopause I want to do menopause but you know My experience tells me that to get it through, it needs to be simple, compact, one government department. So you're not having to have those conversations across Whitehall. I was thinking of all the things I wanted to do. I'm thinking about workplaces. And I thought, well, actually, workplaces could do this themselves and unions could help them. I thought about GP training and thought, well, that's up to the medical schools; It's not really the government's job. I thought about all these things. And then I was having a conversation with a friend who was going to pick up an HRT. And she said it was going to cost her 40 quid. And my initial reaction was, "What? how's it costing you 40 quid? And she said, oh, because there's two packets and there's two hormones Mm. in each packet. I said, yeah, but why is it costing you 40 quid? And she said, well, each packet is two prescriptions. And I said, yeah, but why is it costing you 40 quid? She said, that's the price of prescriptions. And it was like a light going on. I thought, Mm. my God, we don't pay for prescriptions in Wales. So I thought that's the simplest thing to do. And that's what I've gone. So HRT. Calling for it to be free has really been the hock to get the attention and the world has listened. All of a sudden now, people Mm. across the world are saying the British government or the British parliament are now talking about menopause and they are going to do something about it. So this is literally a golden opportunity for the UK government and the UK parliament to change how the world views menopause. And I am determined to make sure that that happens. Global domination, Louise. That's what we want.
0: Well, absolutely. I mean, my mission, as you might know, Carolyn, is to improve the global health of women. And it's quite a huge thing. And actually, someone, one of the non-executive directors of the company, Marcus Daly, who I know very well, he's a friend as well, as a great business mentor, has said to me, Louise, slow down. You can't help everyone. When someone says you can't, that means you can, in my book, Yeah, of course you can. So now I keep texting him things, you know, articles that I'm in or how we have reaching over 150 countries with our free app, Balance. And he's like, Oh, Louise, you're going to prove me wrong. And it's like, I am actually, because why is it that some women are allowed to get their menopause mm. sorted and others aren't? It doesn't make mm. sense to me, no. Carolyn. It just doesn't, it shouldn't be about many. It shouldn't be about, socioeconomic status it shouldn't Mm. be about where you live it shouldn't be Mm. about what country you're from or what language you speak we're all women and we Mm. all deserve the best in my mind Mm. because we've got evidence out there so Mm. I think it's amazing and actually in England it is very hard you can get prepayments and it costs about £10 a month for prepayments but that's still money and also you know like we've said before other hormones are free so if I had an underactive thyroid gland I would be able to not just get free thyroxine, I'd get free any other prescription as well. Mm. And it is an issue because there are obviously people with asthma can't get their inhalers mm. for free, but we have to start somewhere. And yeah. I think, um, you know, what whales do with free prescriptions is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. But also what it is doing this conversation is making people just think about the three letters HRT. Mm. And actually that hopefully will prompt them to go and look up, what is it? what mm. does it mean and mm. is it safe and is it safe mm. for me and in fact this morning i was reading the information on nhs website again and i've approached them again because it's wrong and it's talking about risks and it's not talking about all the benefits and as you know the benefits of hrt outweigh the risks for many mm. women and talking about your awful experience is so common and i was exactly the same all my symptoms i had in isolation even mm. when i was developing the menopause doctor website i'm trying to work late at night but I'm too tired so I'm getting up in the middle of the night because I can't sleep and I'm writing about poor sleep, anxiety, Uh. low mood... Stamina problems. I'm getting all those. Didn't even realise it was me as a perimenopause or 45 year old woman as I was then. It was just shocking. As I'm a menopause specialist, so we need to join the dots. We need to think about it. But yeah. what about you? Do you mind me asking you personally? Nope. Are you managing to improve? Have your symptoms improved? Or what, have you done anything
1: about it? Now you know. Well, I, think I symptoms I, are related. Now that I know it's a menopause, I mean, and I think I thought I was still wet. I don't think I really realised yeah. what benefits having HRT. Could do so. I went on HRT over in the last few months, and what I'm doing is I'm taking HRT, which is magnificent. I got to mm. say, I mean, I've never had nails in my life. I've got nails now. My hair grows really fast, so my hairdresser keeps having to cut it. But my skin is better. I feel better. I'm more positive, you know. And I'm weaning myself off antidepressants because I'm not wow. stupid enough just to come off them. So yeah, I you know I'm reducing my dose, and eventually I'm hoping within maybe take a you. I don't know. I'm open, I won't yeah. be taking antidepressants. Yeah. But it has been life-changing for me. I mean, and frightening wow. for some people because people say, oh, gosh, you've got so much energy. Well, i got a lot more now. And that <laughs> is frightening for some people. And it's given me confidence mm-hmm. because I now take HRT and I feel the benefit. I'm now confident to say to other people, try it. And mm. if you can't get your doctor to prescribe it, push in. And if worst comes to the worst, I'll come with you to the doctor. Yes. And I'm finding now a lot more people are actually saying, oh, I I want to go on HRT. And I'm astounded by how many women, friends and outside who I've never met, are now emailing me or phoning me or writing to me and saying, I'm going to push my doctor for HRT because it is an answer not for everyone yeah
0: but but i think i think you're absolutely right and it is having the confidence and certainly on the menopause charity website we've written a leaflet about how to get the most out of your gp consultation and with the balance app there's a health report people can download with all the symptoms so all those symptoms you were getting in isolation your low mood your cystitis your joint pains or whatever it's all there listed so when you go to your doctor or nurse or healthcare professional you go with this health report and say these are my symptoms these are my periods if you're having them because it tracks your periods and I've read about HRT and I'd actually like it and then that's Mm. taken 10 seconds Mm. so you have nine minutes 50 seconds to actually talk Mm. about treatment
1: Mm. and that
0: actually really empowers the healthcare professionals and as you know I'm working as an NHS advisor for the National Menopause Programme and one of the ways they're really listening is talking about costs that they could save and so I did a, a survey Through my not for profit company, looking at how many consultations did it take women to get a diagnosis. So, we're not even talking about treatment, just a diagnosis of the perimenopause or menopause. And we found that 10% of women took at least nine GP appointments. So, if women could do that themselves and it could just go down to one or even at worst two appointments, that would save 750,000 appointments in general practice a year. That's a lot, isn't it? But the other thing we also did is I introduced someone on the board to talk to one of my patients, who was, could have been any number of the thousands of women I see or speak to. So 10 years ago, she had given up her job because she worked as an accountant and she didn't have the memory and the mind to think about the figures and to get up every day and to just have that mental agility that she needed. So she decided to then work as a vet's receptionist because she thought it'd be an easier job, but she kept forgetting her passwords. She couldn't remember anything and she felt really embarrassed. So she gave up that job and became a cleaner, just cash in hand cleaner. But her muscle and joint pains were so bad that she gave up work completely. She'd been diagnosed with fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, depression, migraines, recurrent urinary tract infections. She'd been seen numerous specialists in the secondary care for her investigations, for her palpitations, for her bladder problems, for her headaches, da, 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 so on. And she's had a cupboard full of drugs. So what we did is we put into a spreadsheet the cost of every single medication, every single investigation, every single consultation. Because, as you know, once someone's referred to hospital, it's a lot more expensive for the NHS. And then we looked at her personal costs. So she wasn't paying in any tax. She wasn't paying any national insurance. And then actually I saw her in the clinic three months later just having very bog standard HRT that's available on the NHS. Three months later, she said, my goodness me. I never had fibromyalgia. I've never had chronic fatigue. I certainly have never had depression. I've thrown all my medication away. I'm now looking for a new job. And she told me actually last week that she'd got a job and she's actually looking at a promotion. And it was only because her mum had heard me talk something on the radio and her mum paid for the consultation because this poor lady obviously had no money because she wasn't working. And so what the government have done or what the NHS have done is they've worked out if 1% of women are like her, and I think it's a lot more actually, you could save the NHS hundreds of millions of pounds a year. I mean, it's not just a little bit of money. It's a huge amount of money. And, you know, that's massive when we're talking about a cash-strapped NHS, isn't it? And we're also thinking about women losing their jobs and everything else. So it's really good that they're listening in those ways as well. So I think if you think, oh, how much money is HRT going to cost the NHS? It's pennies, actually, isn't it, in comparison to what they're Mm. losing. And I think that's what we have to look at as Mm. well. And then, you know, you've talked about your personal benefit, but actually you're far less likely to have an osteoporotic hip fracture, Mm. which costs Mm. the NHS £3 billion a year for the hip fractures. You're less likely to have a heart attack. You're less likely to have dementia. And even all different types of cancers you're less likely to have because oestrogen is so protective in our bodies. So you're not going to be draining the NHS in that way either so it's sort of win-win isn't it really
1: yeah it is win-win and when you were talking there I got to thinking about will I ever not be depressed and I don't think I'll ever not be depressed but my depression is grief yes of course it is and it stays with me forever so maybe depression is the wrong word but it's not depression that I needed to be on antidepressants but I've become dependent on them because they were what was driving me to actually get up in the morning and you well anything. that's the
0: thing and there's two things here really I mean one thing is we did a, another survey through my not for profit company and we found that seventy seven percent of women have been either offered or given antidepressants mm. for their low mood associated with their menopause There's no evidence that works but we also on the other side there are a lot of women who do have clinical depression but they're also perimenopausal and menopausal mm. and we know actually that antidepressants work better if women have got estrogen on board so you can have both and some women mm. like yourself you might be able to wean off others don't they keep on both but that's fine mm. it's like saying you've got a headache I take yeah. paracetamol but I'm also menopausal so I'll take HRT so it's mm. really important and it's so important that you know psychiatrists anyone that's seeing any adult woman actually has the understanding training and everything else so that mm. they can mm. be alerted to the fact oh is this maidly? could mm. she be menopausal how are we going to advise and help her and that's really important yeah. too isn't it
1: very and I think what's really brilliant about where we are now, the current time, real time, is that every day I see something in the paper, on the TV, on social media, Mm. talking about the menopause. Now, we didn't do this five years ago. Now, all of a sudden, and I don't think it's because I'm more attuned to it. I think it's genuinely, no, it sounds it's there more.
0: It's, yeah, it is definitely changing. And I know when the National Institute for Health and Care Excellence Guidelines came out in 2015, so now six years ago, I went to a menopause conference in Prague, actually, it was an International Menopause Society Conference, and I sat there. And I listened to all these very learned professors saying how safe HRT is and how good it is and how, you know, and I I sat there and thought, well, women aren't getting it. What can I um. do? And I thought, well, I'm not a professor. I can't run a research unit. I can't even get a job in the NHS as a menopause specialist. What can I do? And I thought, actually, I'm going to play with the media. I'm going to get myself onto Lorraine Kelly's sofa. I'm going to get myself with some journalists. And I'm going to just spread the message that way because the media have been fed wrong information for the last Uh 20 years. So Uh it's not their fault. But I feel like, actually, if I get something in the... Daily Mail or in the Sun or the Telegraph or the Times or something a newspaper it's actually read more than if I had an academic yeah. publication in the Lancet Yeah, it is what it is but actually yeah. and I also very strongly feel as I'm sure you're aware earlier this year NICE again brought out another guideline yeah. called the shared decision making guidance and I think that is pivotal and so important for menopause care and perimenopause care mm. because it's about choice you know I am not telling you what you need to eat for breakfast no. you decide that because you're an adult Woman. It's the same with your menopause care. It's up to you what you do, Mm. but you have to base your decision on choice, but also backed by evidence. And then Mm. me as a healthcare professional can advise patients and say, well, actually, it's probably not so good for you to smoke 20 cigarettes a day for your breakfast, Carolyn. But if you want to do that, as long as you're aware of the risks, you know, and it's the same even with prescribing, you might refuse yeah. something. You might refuse to take paracetamol for your headache. You know, that's up to you. And it's the same with HRT. You could yeah. refuse it, or you could say, "I want it." And as long as that's based on sound judgment, yeah. that's and it's fine. options,
1: isn't it? It's having the Absolutely. opportunity to be able to get something. Like yes. we need to get more doctors. Prescribing, we need to get more doctors understanding that they may be sending people for tests they needn't. But it all yeah. links back to the same thing, doesn't it? Women for too long have been silent, and we're not going to be silent anymore. And I'm calling it a menopause revolution. And you are menopause warrior number one, along with <laughs> Davina. Uh, but there's other women, and I think what's really yeah. good is that we are. You know, I'm a normal, ordinary working class mm. woman. If I wasn't doing the job I was doing. I probably wouldn't be on HRT because I wouldn't have had the opportunity to make the link. So we are giving women information, which otherwise they would be denied. We are giving women the confidence to say, I deserve to have that and I want it. And we're all in a position to use our platform to make sure that the right people hear the right message and do the right thing. And that's what I'm all about, is making sure that the opportunity for women to have the respect, the dignity and the treatment that may help them, We've got to do that for them. We can't be silent anymore. You know, we need to save jobs. We need to save careers. We need to save marriages. We need to save mm. relationships. There's so many things that we can save and stop women from being on the scrap heap and sitting in corners rocking. Because that's what ends up in some women. And I'm Absolutely. determined to change that. Now,
0: can you imagine? I always sometimes think, can you imagine what the world would be like if every woman who wanted to take HRT took it? Because it'd be a very different place. So I just want to publicly thank you, Carolyn, for your work because it is incredible and I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens over the next year. But and I'm very grateful also for you giving up your time on a Sunday morning to talk to me. So just before we finish, I really want, I always ask people for three take-home tips that I haven't warned you about, but I would like you to say Three tips, actually, for women that is going to just make a difference to their future life. What would you think, three things, if women are wanting to be part of the menopause revolution and want to feel that they're part of this, what would you say
1: would be good for them to do? Well, being part of the revolution is the easy bit because it's all on social media. It's in the papers. I mean, there is a, a template letter available on the APPG website. But, I mean, contact my office or contact me on Twitter, a template letter to send to your MP to make sure they're there on the 29th so we get people in the chamber. Come and join us if you can in London. That'd be wonderful. Dreams can come true. And any woman out there who's sitting there thinking, I want to be this, but I can't be this because I'm not strong enough. I'm not well enough. I'm not intelligent enough. Rubbish. We are all brilliant people. Every woman, every man, but every woman out there is a brilliant woman. She's strong she's got perseverance she's got character and they can be what they want to be they just need to be brave and lastly is we are changing what we are changing from that platform but even if it's only going into work and talking to the girls in work and saying you know do you think this could be the menopause talk talk about what it is that you're experiencing I am amazed that how many women are now opening up to me I mean a funny story that I did a a meeting recently and this lovely woman, I was really pleased that her nails were now long and she was talking about the lack of libido and then she sort of ended it with, mind I haven't seen my husband's really for a long time, well that just cracked me up, I mean the fact that women are now talking so openly and so normally about the most intimate things in life, not that we want to know their private business but we're not afraid to talk about it anymore, you know the taboo is lifted and no, Now, now that we've lifted the veils, we've got to do something about this. And the revolution is marching on.
0: Absolutely brilliant. And I think that's it. We don't need to be silent anymore. No. And more importantly, we're being listened to. So it's really exciting. I'm really looking forward to what happens over the next few months. And for those women who are really struggling, there's lots of information on my website, on the Menopause Charity website, through the free Balance app. And just make sure you get listened and just let others help you as well don't do it on your own because it's, it can be a very lonely place if you're there on your own so make sure you get heard and listen to and so thank you ever so much for your time today Carolyn. and um, i'm going to have you back in the podcast in a few months so you can report back what's been happening so thank you
1: thank you For
0: more information about the perimenopause and menopause, please visit my website balance-menopause.com or you can download the free Balance app, which is available to download from the App Store or from Google Play.